And uh, I'm grateful to be here for some of you know that we are in the middle of a series called Divine Interruption. And uh, today I'm excited about the opportunity uh, that we're going to have. We're going to have a special guest today and uh, we are going to share this message and we're going to put this message into practice. And I want to let you know that over the next two weeks, this week and next week, uh, what we are doing as a church is uh, one of the things that we believe in. We talk about getting in the flow, uh, which means to get started, get baptized, get involved, get invitational. And our last one is to get generous. And over the next two weeks, you're going to hear uh, about some causes, some ways to get generous. And I'm excited about today as we come into the end of the harvest season and into Thanksgiving season, uh, we have an opportunity not only to tell God thanks uh, for what he's blessed us with, but for us to continue uh, to show our gratitude to him by the way we love other people. We do know that the Bible talks about a horizontal relationship with God, but it also talks about equally important how we relate to one another, how we treat those that are next to us in flesh and blood. And so we're going to have an opportunity for you to to give to something special. You'll hear about it a little bit later uh, in the message today. But I'm excited for what God is doing and for what we're doing together. And if it's okay, I just want to pray one more time before as we uh, begin our message today. Lord, thank you so much uh, for today, for the songs, uh, for the beautiful fog that has settled into the Tri-Cities. It lets us know that seasons change. And let's us know that things don't stay the way they are forever. And that, Lord, in this season, what you have for us is what is best for us. And as we listen today to the words spoken and the words shared through testimony and through thought, Lord, I pray that you will soften the hearts of everyone today, that they would listen to where you're leading them and that they would respond to what you want them to do. We ask that you give us a heart of humility, a heart of compassion and a heart that is dedicated to what you want for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I've been excited. Uh, Next week, actually the next two weeks are the last weeks of this series. We're going to close this series up over the next two weeks, just in time for Thanksgiving. And we have been following along a story in the book of Daniel. And I'm going to kind of set this up again and give you some recap so you know what this message series is about. But we have been following uh, the story of the book of Daniel in this particular series. And so the next two weeks is what I'm very, very excited before. As I mentioned to you before, that Daniel is a prophetic book. It has biblical prophecy in it. And it's connected to another book, a book of Revelation. And these two books kind of have conversation together. And as we have looked at the story of Daniel and how he is uh, walked through, where we are in the book of Daniel is actually where there's a shift. And this narrative shifts now uh, to more of a, a laid out prophecy that Daniel is given. And I am going to, in the next two weeks, do the best I can to talk about and unpack this particular prophecies, the two prophecies, biblical prophecies that are in the book. Now, let me be clear about that language because sometimes that language can be very clear or very unclear these days. Okay, so I am not a prophet. 
in the sense that I am going to prophesy over you and tell you something specifically, okay? So you're not going to come here and I'm not going to line you up. Maybe you see that on TV at 2 or 3 in the morning. I am not going to line you up and, and, and throw oil on you unless, unless you unless I need to. I will do that. I am prepared. But if you get out of order, we'll do it. But that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about um, as a biblical theologian explaining to you what the Bible explains about itself with these particular prophecies and how they run a court of run along history. So I'm not talking to you about, uh, I'm going to prophesy over you. When I say share biblical prophecy, I'm talking about explaining what Daniel heard and what he saw because Daniel himself is given the interpretation of the prophecy that's given to him. And here's the powerful thing about it, that it actually came true. What was given to Daniel actually, what's in Daniel chapter 9 and 10 and even 8 actually plays out in history. So I'm going to show you that and I'm excited on the next two weeks to wrap that up and then we'll move into another series and I'm really excited about the series coming in the new year. Now I do want to mention something else that uh, is a cause for celebration. I wish we would have celebrated a little bit better. We'll get a chance to celebrate it in January during our vision week, but I want you to know that today is the one-year birthday of new movement. See, I knew y'all wasn't going to celebrate. I knew you weren't going to celebrate the way I wanted to celebrate, but I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that for now, because I'm just telling you that I, I'm, I'm excited about the fact that one year ago, we had our first preview service, and some of y'all are still here. Amen. You ought to congratulate yourself that you still are coming to church. Amen. After the year you've been through, you ought to give God the praise for that. So, so we'll celebrate that during our vision, our vision month, which is the first of January. And we'll have some guest speakers. In fact, I'll let a little secret out the bag a, a pastor, a great friend of mine who's pastored in this area before pastor Ron Sidney is coming to preach in January. And I'm excited about that. So he hasn't been here in a couple of years. So he's going to come all the way from Detroit and preach. So anyway, it's my turn to preach today, right? So divine interruption. Let's just go through and give you a little bit background of what this is about. Here's what we've been talking about. Divine interruption is God's way of calling us to our highest self. There is a version that God created of of you that maybe you don't know about. And that version of you is a perfect version It is a version that lives out in the fullness of the gifts that he's put inside you. It's your highest self. And when you begin to learn what your highest self is, it helps you make decisions. Helps you make decisions about where you live, who you date, who you break up with, how you spend your money, right? Your highest self. I'm 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 talking about you might be living in your 1999 Version of Jeff Benzos. I'm talking about the 19, 19, 2020 version, right? I'm talking about the $16 billion version when Amazon is worth that. Now, back in 1999, do you think he knew Amazon was going to be worth that much money? What do you think? Yes, he did. He absolutely did. That's why he launched the company. Because in his heart, he knew Amazon was going to be big. And he had some hard times and hard seasons. I'm not building him up because he's having a hard time right now in Seattle. But he's having, he had some hard times 
And he had a vision for his company, and he saw that vision through. And now we are spending money at Amazon. It's the same thing for you. God has a vision for you and says, I see the $14 billion version of you. And that's what I'm calling to you. But every once in a while, what God has to do is he has to interrupt you because you are going the wrong direction. You are going the wrong direction. He said, wait a minute. Let me interrupt and guide you back to the direction that leads towards your highest self. And the next part of this we've been saying is that what may look like a trial or even a tragedy for some is an opportunity for the believer. Because sometimes an interruption can come to you in the form of a tragedy. Oftentimes it comes in the form of a trial. It comes in the form of something that is testing your endurance and your faith. And here's where we have really built this series from. It's in James chapter 1, just two verses, and we're going to read it on screen together. It says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, any kind of trouble, consider it an opportunity for great joy. That don't seem to make any sense, right? You're telling me that when troubles come my way, I'm supposed to be joyful? When problems come my way, it's supposed to be something to be joyful about? Here's what he says in verse 3. For you know that when your faith is tested, ah, there it is, your, your endurance has a chance to grow. Let's read, let's read the rest of this. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete and needing nothing. Can I just give you a practical Seahawks example? Can you go back to verse 3? Or actually really verse 2. Let's, let's put this in the, the Seahawks NLT version. So brothers and sisters, consider it when, when playing the 49ers on Monday night, an undefeated team comes your way. Consider it an opportunity to take the NFC West. Did y'all read that version? When, the seat, when you have to play the 49ers on the road who are undefeated on Monday night football, don't consider that an opportunity to go backwards. Consider that an opportunity to take the NFC West. Let me interpret that here in verse 3. I looked this up in the Greek. This is the best version I can find. When you know that your defense and your offensive line and the true MVP of the NFL, Russell Wilson, is tested, when Richard Sherman's defense is tested, we will have a chance to go to the playoffs. That's exactly what the Bible said. I thought it was Super Bowl, but I looked deeper in the Greek. It just says playoffs. Here's verse 4 in the Seahawks translation. So let it grow. Let the season continue. Bring on the rest of the schedule after our bye week. And when our defense and our special teams and our offensive line is fully developed, we will have a perfect season, complete, needing nothing. That's what the Seahawks version says. So if the Seahawks are never tested by an undefeated team, how are they supposed to last in the playoffs? If you're never tested, got real quiet right there, huh? This mic still work? If you're never tested by anything, 
if nothing hard ever comes your way, how are you supposed to, that word endurance, it means how are you supposed to outlast the trouble? Because some of us don't outlast it, right? The trouble simply outlasts us. And God says your highest version of you can survive a recession. The highest version of you can survive a negative prognosis from that physician. The highest version of you can survive a divorce. The highest version of you can survive the death of a loved one. The highest version of you can survive a racial, racist interaction. The highest version of you can survive a sexist interaction. The highest version of you can survive trouble because you have been learned how to endure and gone through. So I want to break this down a little bit because I want to preach a shorter message today because I'm excited about the next half of our message. And I really want to lean in on this question. We've been asking three questions in this series. And as we pulled it from that text that we read, how do I find joy when my life is interrupted? Now, let me just make it clear. Sometimes it's not God interrupting your life. Sometimes it's not God. Sometimes it's an it's a... <laughs> It's an inv invitation from the wrong person that causes the trial. Sometimes you just invited the wrong person in your life. So I'm not saying find joy in that. I'm talking about what kind of joy can come when God interrupts your life. So I want to show you something. I thought this would be a great illustration. Right? Illustration. So when I think about this, I think about joy. There's a couple of different definitions for joy. One of the preacher's versions I like is there's a difference between joy and happiness. You heard this before? Happiness is what? Everybody heard that before. It's external. The preacher's version, if you ever have to preach a sermon, you'd say, it's because of. Happiness is because of. Because we bought a house. Because we're engaged. Because we got the new car. Because we're together, I'm happy. Maya is calling me. Yes, Amaya? Oh, never mind. Because someone has told me something nice. Oh, you look cute, girl. Oh, I'm happy about that, right? But joy is Beyonce. Joy is not because of. Joy is in spite of. The biblical theologian Beyonce would say, I woke up like this. That's how she would say it. In other words, I look good no matter what's happening around me. Joy is in spite of. In spite of a recession, in spite of something negative, in spite of political chaos, in spite of an economic downturn, I still have joy. There's something inside of me that allows me to endure what's going on around me. So can we break this down a little bit? I'm going to throw some things on the screen. thought I'd make this easy for the kids, too. So how many of you know what this is? Y'all know what that is? It's a, th now on the left, it's a thermometer, or the right, excuse me, it's a thermometer, right? Now, a thermometer measures your what? Internal temperature. You put that under your tongue or other places, depending on how old you are. And you check and see your temperature, right? If, if it's too hot, you're in trouble. If it's too cold, 
you're in trouble, right? So the thermometer tests the temperature. And the other version of a thermometer, do you see that one on your left, right? That, the, what, what is that test? What temperature where? On the outside, the external temperature. So you know how hot or how cold it is. When you wake up in the morning, see some of these temperatures, I grew up in Minneapolis, and some of, some of this, the needle would literally be all the way to the left, 40 below zero, or 120 degrees in Las Vegas. And you get to see and look how hot it is, right, outside or inside, and you know what to do to respond to that. That's a thermometer. It just simply tells you how hot it is, right? It just simply tells you what the environment is. You can make certain decisions based on what the thermometer tells you, right? We got that? Okay, now here's, here's another picture. This is something different. This is what? This is a thermostat. Now, what's interesting about a thermostat is a thermostat is different than a thermometer. Now, a thermostat has a thermometer on it. It needs a thermometer to work. But a thermostat, what does it do? It regulates and it sets the temperature where? Inside. So if you're in your car and it's cold outside, you can turn up the heat. Right? And if it's cold outside, or excuse me, it's hot outside, and you're in your car, you can turn up the AC. You want to turn up the AC? Keep it on blast? You're good. So you have the ability to control the environment inside, regardless of what the environment is outside. Are you preaching my sermon for me in your mind? So, but you can't, nobody has invented a thermostat for outside, right? How many of you have control over the weather? If you do, raise your hand and run out here as fast as you can because I'm scared of you. I'm just going to be straight up. I'm scared. If you can control the weather, that's witchcraft, and I'm, I'm running, you running right out the room. Okay, nobody can control that, right? Well, indirectly through whatever, you know, through global warming, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, we can't control it. You can't go outside and say, you know what? I want it to be summertime. The only thing you can do is hop in a plane and fly to Venezuela, right? I'm sure it's hot in Venezuela. Is it hot in Venezuela? Okay, she's from Venezuela. She told me it's hot. If you want hot weather, go to Venezuela. But you're not getting hot weather today. So, so here's the difference here, right? The thermostat controls the temperature. That's what joy is. That's what joy is. A joy allows you to keep the condition internally the same way regardless of what's happening on the outside. That's true joy. True joy says whether it's hot outside or whether it's cold, the joy that God gives me allows me to adjust the temperature inside. And so my temperament, my demeanor, my attitude, it doesn't mean I'm void of emotion. It just simply means that I am not dictated completely about what uh, of what happens outside of me. There's something in me that lets me live and show up differently regardless of the change on the outside. And so faith that endures, faith that has been tested has a way of keeping it at 72 degrees. 
when it's hot outside. Because 72 degrees when it's 130 degrees feels pretty good. And 72 degrees when it's negative 10 feels pretty good. And so there's a difference between a thermostat and a thermometer. Because a thermometer doesn't change very much. And so today as we've been talking about what it means to have a divine interruption, as we've been talking about it, uh, today I'm excited to have a special guest with me. And I'm going to introduce her in a minute. But I met her through one of, uh, one of the people who comes to church here. Her name is Pat Glowowski. She's a friend of hers. And I met her and she, we sat down and she told me about her story. And she was willing to share a bit of her story about how she had a divine interruption. It was something that happened to her that she was not expecting. And it hit her in a way that she was not expecting. And we get the privilege of hearing her story today. And so before uh, I invite her on the stage, we're going to play a video that introduces how she responded to this divine interruption, right? Because that's what gives us hope, right? That's what gives us courage. How do we respond? How do we find joy? And her story shows us how even in the midst of pain and an interruption pain in her case, that she found a way to find joy in the midst of it. So let's watch this video, and in just a few minutes, I'm going to invite her up to join us. In 1946, a most remarkable woman was born in Mali, West Africa. Mali is one of the poorest countries in the world, where children often start school without the benefit of early childhood education. There is a lack of infrastructure, lack of educational materials, not enough teachers, and overcrowded classrooms, and obvious gender discriminations. This most remarkable woman became a teacher, just like her parents. She married and loved being a mother to her 10 children. But she not only loved her children, she loved all of the children in her community. Besides being their teacher, she was every child's mother at every school she taught. Parents were very grateful and trusted her. She believed with all her heart that children are our future and encouraged everybody she met to invest in early childhood education. In the Malian culture, women are the gatekeepers of the home. Even working mothers are homemakers, including this most remarkable woman. She taught full-time, then came home to care for her children and the children of others. She taught her children to get an education, which they all did. She encouraged all the children in the community to do the same. Because most of the parents were not educated, they relied on this most remarkable woman to help their children with their education. She not only helped them with their schoolwork, she often fed them as well. She had a two-teacher household income, which was hardly enough for her 10 children. But still, this most remarkable woman shared with others. After she retired and with her health failing, she continued to devote her time to helping everyone. She mentored first and second generation family members in the neighborhood and always cooked big so she could feed other children who would stop by. She loved people unconditionally. 
Her rule was our friends and children in the neighborhood should never ask if they could get some food, play with the toys, or spend the night. If there was food, you just served yourself because it's your home. This most remarkable woman was a giving person who only saw the good in people. With her positive outlook on life, she touched and inspired many people and truly changed lives. My name is Fatima Traore, and this most remarkable woman was my mother, Aminata Warike Diara. With her recent passing, it became very clear that continuing her legacy is my mission. She taught for over 40 years, and her dream was to have a daycare center for neighborhood children. She wanted to make it affordable to families of need. She understood that children who attend preschool have a chance to excel more than those who don't. She especially encouraged girls to believe they can do anything they put their minds to. With this in my heart, I have begun the project of building a daycare center in her name on our family's property in the city of Bamako, Mali. The center will take neighborhood kids ages four to six with two part-time daycare teachers and will teach the basics of letters, numbers, songs, and animals. They will learn teamwork and social skills and everyday skills like hand washing and greeting people. We will encourage parents to be involved in their children's education. We know that early learning will help children be successful when they begin their primary school. Our one classroom daycare center will be 20 by 20 feet with chairs and tables for up to 15 children. It will have toys, games, snacks, and all the supplies needed. When the room is not being used as a daycare, we will have it available for other groups in the area to use, such as the local polio survivors and small group training sessions. The total cost for this dream project is $17,000, which includes construction materials, chairs, tables, supplies, and the first few months of pay for the two part-time workers. Our hope is to have it up and running before the end of this year. Please help me make her dream come true by donating to this worthwhile project in the honor of a most remarkable woman. We are grateful for any amount you feel comfortable giving. I can promise you it will make a difference in the lives of many children. Thank you. If you would like to donate, please contact Fatima Traore at 509-851-4208 or email at ftraore at yahoo.com. Church, why don't we welcome this morning, let's give a great new movement welcome to Miss Fatima Traore. Good morning. Welcome to uh, New Movement. I know this is your first time here, but you are a native, or you're not a native here, uh, but you've lived here in the Tri-Cities for a long time. Yes. And so I wanted to start just to kind of introduce you. Uh, I have some details about you. You are an absolutely remarkable woman. 
um, and I want you to talk about first where you are from. I'm from Mali, West Africa, and I've been living in the Tri-Cities for 24 years. And, and I, I graduated from WSU, Tri-Cities, go Cougs. <laughs> <laughs> and I lived in Russia, got my first master's degrees from Russia, and I got the second bachelor's degrees here from WSU Tri-Cities, and I work as an economic development specialist for Benton Franklin Council of Governments. Okay. So you are a, an economist by yes. trade. Yes. That is brilliant. I, I, we talked a little bit about that, and that's definitely something I don't have much experience in. But I think it's fantastic that you are an academic, a scholar, an economist. And uh, tell us a little bit about Mali, West Africa. Uh, as you can see, Mali is one of the poorest countries in the world. This is my family's house. Um, um, if definition of poor countries, take all the aspects, requirements to define a country as poor, my country qualifies for that. My mom was a teacher, my dad was, my grandpa and grandma, they were all teachers, so um, I left the country more than 30 years ago and I'm able to help my family from distance. So my family is considered kind of here, it will be upper middle class, kind of, but it's poor per the US standards, if you look at it. So my family is way better off than the average Malian family. So, but it's a very cultural society, community-based society. Everybody raises everybody's kid, everybody eats at everybody's home, everybody's tragedies, everybody else's tragedies, happiness, etc. So it's community-based. And we saw in the video, there was someone in your community uh, that was a leader, that was a teacher, and you, and you shared in the video that that was your mother. Tell us about her, yes. her legacy. So um, I decided to do the video. I've been doing this, by the way, for the last few months. She passed away on November 29th of last year. And uh, I am listening to Terrence. First of all, I want everybody to please forgive me Please. Um, so she passed away on November 29th of last year, but listening to what you were talking about, um, anybody who is close to anybody, whether it's your mom or somebody that you really, really love, um, and they pass away, thank you very much. So anyway, I will change a little bit and just talk to about her life as a teacher. She taught for more than 40 years, and um, as you can see in the video, I'm the oldest of 10, by the way, and everybody in my family has a college, four-year college degree and up. Thank you, yes. Yes, thank you. So when I came to the US 24 years ago, I was learning English at CBC in my ESL class, and they were talking about taxes in the US. And the teacher was joking like, taxes and death are guaranteed in the US. I mean, you will die and you will pay taxes somehow. <laughs> it just clicked. I said, and my family, education and death are guaranteed. Because, I mean, we didn't have a choice. Everybody, my mom said that. You will get that education. And she taught for more than 45 years and she had put first 
second and third generation family members through school. Ten kids at home at each of her classes, she had at least 75 to 100 kids sometimes, elementary school kids. Um, so dedicated her life to kids. So that's why, as you can see in the video, um, you heard that, and she wanted to feed everybody. I remember growing up, we will have little snacks. It will be just us, but some of our friends will show up. If she had 10 donuts for 10 kids, she would break the donuts into like three pieces and try to feed everybody else's kids. So um, one of the most giving people ever, and I'm biased because I'm her daughter, but I will tell you, at her funeral service, there were more than 500 people there. Every single body said two things. The picture definition of motherhood, which is sacrifice, selflessness, and just a giving person. I'm very, very proud to be her daughter. Very proud. And I really, really miss that woman very, very much. So I am listening to you after she passed away. I got into deep depression because she and I were very, very close, being the oldest of 10. I don't have any kids of my own, but I became a second mother by default. I'll help her raise my nine other siblings. And uh, so I don't know life without her. I'm learning. And so I'm battling depression. I'm getting help for that. So building this school has been a little light to honor her because she has always wanted to do this. And by the way, the total project is 17,000, but I'm up to 15,000. I was able wow. to put some savings. I really appreciate your courage um, and your willingness to come today because as, you, as we can hear, um, and I don't want to continue to trigger that pain, um, but you weren't expecting to lose her. And as we've talked before, you weren't expecting for it to, to affect you um, the way it has. And if every time you talk about her, um, I can see the mixture of the joy and the pain well up. And, and you mentioned your battle with depression, your battle with this. But somehow, in the midst of all this, you have decided to honor her you have decided to lead a project uh, and raise money, which you have raised 90% of the costs in order to, to, to honor her in this way. And as you share with me, uh, you are by faith a Muslim. And tell me about, tell us about how your faith has informed you and that you're able to even press through this difficult season and see an opportunity to honor her. Um, I go to the mosque in West Richland, but I have a bunch of friends from different faiths, so I've been to many churches. I go. Um, I feel like I'm at the mosque. I'm listening to you, and I'm listening to you. See, I feel like I'm at my mosque. I mean, there is no difference. Everything you guys are telling me here, that's what I've been he hearing for about a year. And I'm very blessed with good family relatives, friends, the community. 
I'm a volunteer on few organizations, local organizations. Everybody has been supportive. I've been hearing the same thing you guys are telling me. I mean, no difference. You know, I'm just, like I said again, um, I'm just, you know, ups and downs, but I appreciate it. So, so you're leaving in two weeks, and you are going to be going back to Mali for five weeks, and you are going to see um, the project begin. And as I mentioned, there's still some opportunity for us to give to you, and I'll, I'll and make sure I end our, our time with that to give them some instructions on that. Tell me what you think it'll be uh, like for you when you go home and when you begin to see the children there and begin to see this school um, that, begin, that is being built. What do you think that'll feel like for you? So the last few months has I raised money. I started this fundraising for more than almost seven months now, but I would get depressed and I would kind of be down for sometimes weeks at a time and ask myself, I mean, if it's worth all of this, what will be the point of even building this to honor her if she's not like here, so I get discouraged. Pat is not here today. I want all of you guys to know I've known Pat for more than 20 years. One of the nicest human beings you will ever meet. She's the one who convinced me to come do this. She would talk to me every day. Like I said, I'm blessed. So as I did fundraising, I will raise money. I will send it back home. So the foundation is done. Uh, the walls are up. The roof is done. The electrical wirings, they are doing that now. Yes. Yes. Thank you. So every time I'm, I'm down and I just... The image comes because my family sends me images every day of the project, and I just get excited, you know. And uh, you asking me in how it will feel, you know. One thing with depression and anxiety, which I know that I get so excited that I'm going home, then uh, anxiety kicks in. Uh, I cannot wait until November 26 to fly and go straight to her grave from the airport and just, you know, be grateful that I'm back to see her. Then I get anxious because I cannot wait for the project to be done to see the kids. Kids go, my family is, my family is labeled the Traway Community Center because everybody goes to my family. We are doing exactly everything my mom did Nothing changed, she's just not there. Every weekend, all the kids are still in our yard. We still make those little donuts. I showed him the videos of the kids. My phone is full of videos. Kids will come, we still make those little donuts and cookies, candies to the little kids, they still come. They know she's not there, but we are honoring. We are honoring that woman. I mean, we are, we, I mean, anyways. So I'm very, very excited. I cannot wait to leave on the 26th. And the first few days might be hard because I will see the project. It might be finished before I come back on January 2nd. My goal is to have the first 10 kids. I already 
I already ordered tables, supplies. I already got the two part-time teachers. The entire community were really, they are all ready. Everybody's supportive. So I don't know how it's kind of better. So I'm very excited and happy then anxiety kicks in. I'm getting help with that. And with some, sometimes when my thoughts are turning bad and dark, um, I reach out for help. Because, I mean, if nothing, I need to stay here for my family and for my mom would be so, she doesn't want to see me like this. And I know this and I hear it. It's just when the darkness kicks in, it's like, oh my God, you know. So anyways, I'm hanging in there. I appreciate you guys just listening to me. And uh, if you have loved ones that you lost, I so much understand grief now. I know it was hard before my mom passed away. I have friends who lost parents, friends, and I'll go, I'll cry with them, I'll support them. And I thought, they are doing it, they are dealing with this. I will be able to do this too, you know. But oh boy. Did I crash? Did I crash? But thank you. Thank you. You may not feel um, much strength now, but I want to turn you into a preacher for, for just a few seconds. And um, speak to someone today that might um, tell us about your decision to, to get help and, and the wisdom you've learned. Um, and, and speak that wisdom to someone today. Share share with them that may be in that darkness and maybe what you've learned and how you push through. I have to tell you, number one, you have to have a good support system. I don't even care if it's your dog, your friends, your classmates, obviously family members. I know I'm here today because I have my family. I have to tell you, I'm not living for me anymore. I, I literally know that. I'm not living for me anymore. Not to say I don't care about me, but I mean, I don't care. But my family relies on me. And my mom, in the darkest part of time, I just imagine my mom telling me, Fatima, I mean, you are so blessed, look at you. I gave you all the tools for life. I'm just not here. You continue that. So anybody, if you feel like you are, and this is so sad to say, but I understand suicide now, it's not good. If you don't have that little light at that dark moment, I understand. It's not good. Support system, support system, and support system. I am living for my family. I'm living for my mother, obviously. I'm living for the community here in Pasco. I'm, on, I'm a volunteer on more than 10. That's fantastic. I'm a volunteer on more than 10 different local organizations. I'm a Rotarian. I do local projects. I do international projects. I'm here for those. I'm not here for me anymore. I mean, I don't care. I'm not here for me anymore. I'm here for everything I just listed. So if you, anybody, you feel like you are not worth or the pain is so hard, he just said it 
for a few minutes, you sang about it. You can do something positive that will make you feel worth something, and it will bring you that joy. I feel that inside. But when it comes about me, life is not about me anymore. I want to thank you so much for coming and uh, extend an invitation for you to come back once you have visited Mali. Uh, If you guys allow me, when I come back from Mali early January, there will be. I will do a follow-up presentation. I'll have pictures. I will have videos. I mean, that I would appreciate that. Okay. Thank you. I'm going to have my tech team scramble just a little bit here. Uh, but I want to mention to us, as I mentioned, the opportunity uh, that she has raised uh, 90%, which is about, well, maybe a little under 90%. You're the economist. I'm not. I'm just a pastor. <laughs> but uh, uh, your pro- total project of 15000 and gifts are still coming in. So we want to give us, church, an opportunity. If, if the Lord has moved on your heart or you feel that you want to respond, uh, first I'm going to put up our giving app, and we... Uh, it's a little. It's a little difficult on our giving app. There's a way, to and I can get ready to go. So, the address and email. The reason I wanted to do it that way because if you send me a check after the 29th, I will have to wait until five weeks before I can come back, and the money will be sitting here while I can send the money, so they can keep moving. So that's why. Um, but um, I'll come back and I'll give you guys a follow-up presentation. I really, I mean, whether you donate or not, to listen to me. Like I said, I want to go on the highest peak and scream my mom's name and tell everybody how much that woman was a good Mm. human being. Mm. Miss her very, very much. We're going to close with a prayer, and I want to pray in a way that is um, honoring and respectful of your faith tradition, and I hope you would understand that as well. And I want to pray a prayer blessing over you and for all of you today, and uh, hope that her message and her story has really lived the message that we're preaching, and maybe whatever God is telling you on how he wants you to respond and how he wants you to move, to move forward today. So let's say a prayer together. God, we uplift our sister today. We are grateful for the woman she has become and for the woman you sent her as her mother. Thank you for her story, sharing that in pain we can often find light and the importance of having a support system. I pray in a special way that for this project that you will overwhelm her with gifts. I pray that where her desire was to build one school, that she'll build two. I pray that where her desire to reach 100 children, she'll reach 200. And I pray that even now, people that don't know her will respond to this story and on behalf of heaven, pour out a blessing on her. I pray even now for strength and comfort to come to her through people around her. And as she goes home, that Lord, you will, uh, that you will, Fill her with peace. We thank you for everyone in the room today. Amen. Let's thank you for, let's thank our guests for coming today. We just love you.